Good morning, Pillar. It's good to be in God's house, isn't it? Hearing his, his, his songs being sung, hearing uh, the word being read, being around God's people. It is truly a retreat. It's a good place to be. And quite frankly, I'm glad you're here. Um, this will be my first time sharing the word of God with you uh, as a church. In this setting. And so if you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Timothy chapter 4 as we continue our series this morning uh, on 2 Timothy. Again, this is the closing period of the Apostle Paul's life, and he has a, a charge, a, a challenge to give to young Timothy, passing the proverbial spiritual baton as, as leadership um, should often do. And so if you have any questions or you have thoughts during the, the, the message, there is the passage, uh, the phone number up there that you can, you'll, see, you'll see cycling through the sermon. Uh, please text that to us. We want to leave you better informed. I don't want you to walk away with questions and, and mysteries remaining. And we'll do our best to answer those at the end of the service. But 2 Timothy chapter 2, beginning uh, in verse 1 of chapter 4, won't you turn there if you have your Bibles um, and follow along as I read. Paul says this to Timothy, I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead as his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, convince, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears will heap up for themselves teachers and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you will, but you be faithful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of the evangelist and fulfill your ministry. So Father, we come before you just grateful for the opportunity to be gathered together here the new day uh, uh, of the new week. And I pray that your blessings be upon the word as it goes forth. May it touch hearts. May it change lives. May we not understand, only understand the historical uh, event and conversation that Paul had with Timothy, but help us to make relevant um, and reasonable applications to our own lives, Lord. So I pray that we would walk away uh, changed ultimately as a result of being here around your word with your people. And ultimately, Lord, we seek to honor and glorify you in this endeavor. And so we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, first point that I think we want to start with, and I'm going to just jump right into the message here today. I think it, it's pretty self-explanatory and doesn't need much introduction. We will tie into some of the previous verses from chapter 13 that Daniel shared with us last week, and uh, I appreciate that, brother. It's a good message. And so we're going we're gonna to remind you of some of the things because uh, I think it's sometimes unfortunate we have chapter breaks because it forces us to stop and maybe start um, where really the thought continues. And so we'll make some of those connections when we, uh, we get to the appropriate point. Um, the first thing that I want to highlight is the fact this, that there are two facts in these five verses and two series of challenges. And the first fact, if you want to take notes, is that there is a true motivation to what is driving Paul and what should drive Timothy and then ultimately drive us. These facts in the Bible from the Greek language are called indicative statements. These are statements of facts. We'll get to the commands in a minute because there are going to be two facts and two challenges which are a series of, of, of two commands. That's verse 2 and verse 5. We'll get to those in a little bit. The commands are imperative statements. They are the statements where 
the scriptures communicate the thou shalt or thou shalt not. These are challenges that the word of God gives us to do or not to do certain things so that our lives will be marked by obedience to the word of God. But oftentimes, as we see here, that the, the commands do not just stand alone. They are, they are contextualized. They come from a place of, of origin, that there is a statement of fact that then motivates us to then act. Does that make sense? So, so there is a context in which he is calling us to operate. For, for us here today, the first fact would be the true motivation that uh, Paul has, and he's going to pass to Timothy. And if you look at verse 1, and we're going to look at it a little closer here, he says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Jesus Christ, who is to judge the living and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. So before he gets to the command in verse 2, preach the word, right? I'm, I'm excited about that, by the way. Um, if you can't tell, I'm excited to be in the pulpit. All right, I got a lot of preaching energy just packed up in me that... Uh, I am really trusting the Holy Spirit to help refrain so it doesn't come across too harsh or too, too, too passionate. But I am passionate about the Word of God. But before I can get to verse 2 where it says preach the Word, verse 1 says that we live in the light of, of this eternal reality, right? We, we aren't just to do things with, with, with an earthly perspective and an earthly context... But we do this in light of a heavenly context, the heavenly reality. And what Paul is saying to Timothy is, look, young man, I am giving you this charge, and it's really, I think, all five verses, in the light of this fact, that there is a God who is holy and just, by the way, I might add, and there is a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who loved us and gave himself for us. And someday he is going to judge the living and the dead. Someday, Timothy, you're going to stand and I'm going to stand before this holy and just and loving God and loving Savior and give an account of my life. So before I tell you to do anything, I am trying to communicate this in this context. It's not just about this life and this world and this time and space that we're living in, which is kind of all that we really comprehend, all right? It's hard for us as human beings to fathom the eternal, the infinite, the, the, the intangible, in some ways, thing called heaven and eternity it is though reality far greater than this reality amen that that is a truth that should should anchor us and ground us so so whatever hits us whatever comes at us we're able to perceive and recognize there's an eternal life that I have been promised through the sacrifice and the saving work of God through his son and someday I'm going to stand before him. I'm going to be judged by him. I'm going to be a part of his kingdom. And so I need to live this light in the light of that reality. And that's what Timothy is hearing from Paul. That is the true motivation. You know, motivation, where does, what's, what's the root word for motivation? What's, what's at the heart of motivation? Grammatically speaking, what's, what's, shrink it down, what is it? Motive, Right? Motive is at the root, well, you're not used to interacting, that's all right, I'm going to give you a chance to just, 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 I don't want this to be a dialogue, all right, I want it to be, uh, or mon uh, I don't want it to be a monologue, I want it to be a dialogue, so please uh, stay engaged. So, so at the root word of motivation is motive, motive answers the why question, why do we do what we do, and if we're going to motivate people, we have to answer the why question. 
We have to engage them intellectually, not just stimulate them emotionally. I don't want to be just a cheerleader up here. I am passionate. I will get excited. And I don't just want to, to, to infuse you with that excitement and passion. I want to motivate you. I want to stimulate your intellect. Do, do you see the difference there? One is emotion. One is intellect. It's both part of who we are. And I hope that maybe we can engage both here today that this would be exciting, this would be fun, but it also would be educational, informative, and life-changing. Because human beings were created after the image of God, right? God is intellect, emotion, and will. We have intellect, emotion, and will. Squirrels don't have intellect. They have instinct. They don't have emotion. They have the, maybe a flight, re, flight response, fight, flight response. I mean, they are different. They aren't created after the image of God. We as human beings are. And as a result of that, we need to not only feel, and we should feel, but we'd also think, engage our minds. And so before Paul gives Timothy the charge, the challenge, the command in verse 2, he says, young man, this is our motivation. We live in light of this reality. Someday we're going to stand before God. Does that make sense? Because it, it is truly where we have to orient ourselves as individuals. I mean, I, 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 I don't, I'm not saying just, just operate on emotion. How many times have we made bad decisions because we were just too emotionally charged? We said something, we did something, we threw something, we, we broke something in a, in a heat of, of anger, right? What happens there? I didn't think. So, so I want us to operate... The will, the decision-making process has to not only be with the right emotions, but with the right intellect, with the right thought process. And so we're going to see later on when the world deviates, when individuals start rejecting the word of God, they start shutting off their mind and they start reacting emotionally, giving over to desires, right? Their own feelings, their own, their own emotions. So Timothy... Here's this motivation. It's heavenly focused, and he is challenged to then, as we see in verse 2, and this would be the first challenge. And it's a series of commands in, in verse 2, and we'll just start breaking those down. But in verse 2, if we could bring that up. Preach the word, he says. There is the command. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. You know, last week's sermon, we heard the, um, from, from Daniel in verses 13 to 16. If you could just look back, even in your own text, we didn't put it up here. And if you have, it, have your Bibles open, it should be easy to find. But in verse 13, it talks about evil men, impostors, grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Verse 14 but you must continue in the things that you have learned. What did he learn? This is a spiritual knowledge, and it's pointed out in verse 15, right? From a child, you have known the scriptures. So I want to build something here. Go back maybe a page to 2 Timothy 2.2. 2. Paul, Paul also had the opportunity to influence Timothy. Things that you have heard of me, among many witnesses, commit to faithful men. So Paul learned from the scriptures. It's implied in verse 2 of chapter 2 that he learned from Paul. And then back to verse one or chapter 1, verse 5. And it says, when I call to remembrance the genuine faith. This is Timothy's faith that is known in you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. 
But the fact of the matter is, and I want you to see this timeline. So at a young age, Timothy learned what? The scriptures, right? And then he saw it modeled in the home with his mother and grandmother. And faith comes by hearing and hearing by what? The word of God. So at a young age, he heard the word. He had seen it modeled in his family. And then he gets the influence of the Apostle Paul. I mean, of all people, I would have loved to have been discipled by the Apostle Paul. Timothy had that privilege. So he was learning the scriptures at a young age. He came to faith, I believe, at a young age because of the influence of his, his family and the word of God. And then discipleship took place at the point of Timothy's life where he was, he was mentored by Paul. But does it end there? And should it end there? Absolutely not. Timothy isn't just a consumer. And this is our age, right? As, as Christians in this context of, of life, we, we just, we're, we're rich with study helps and video clips and tutorials and books and translations. I mean, digitally, I mean, I can pull up the Greek language and find out what words mean pretty quickly. But, but we're not merely to be consumers of the word of God. It should never end here. Paul was mentoring and modeling Timothy, for Timothy this, this ultimate goal is to then preach the word. To be a distributor of that truth. Not just a consumer and a receiver of the truth. And so that's why he says in verse 2 to preach the word. It's affected your life. It has changed your life. You had benefited from this. And, and it's a shame that if it ends here, you need to transfer that, he says. Preach the word. Preaching the word is his declaration of truth. Paul isn't telling Timothy to preach his opinions, his feelings, his ideas, his experiences. None of that. He is there to preach the word of God. The inerrant, the infallible word of God. Right? That's, the word of God, it says, uh, is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. Dividing the sun or the joint and spirit, or the soul and spirit and the joint and the marrow, it is something that gets into us, it gets, gets active in us, it changes us. And to just, just to receive it. Sometimes I feel like the prophet of old, that just, it was, it was like a fire in his bosoms. He couldn't contain it. He couldn't just hold it in. That's the word of God in you. It should be something that you be in every day. And then it begins to change you so that you'll be able to have an influence. You'll be a change agent in this culture, in your communities, in your homes. That's what we're seeing here. It is not just to, 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 to come to you and to stop at you, but it's to be passed on. And so Paul is telling Timothy to preach the word. It doesn't end there, though, does it? Be ready in season and out of season. There's a cross-reference in 1 Peter that we studied this week in our life group. By the way, I'm, I'm going to make a commercial advertisement here. I'm going to pause for a minute. If you're not in a life group, this is, a, is an incredible opportunity to learn in community, a small community of believers. Mine is on Friday nights. We're going through 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, 1 and 2 3 John, and probably hit Jude before before this, this academic year is over. Um, I just want to encourage you. It's a great opportunity to, to, to be together in the middle of the week, and so I want to encourage you. But in, in 1 Peter, where we were studying this week, a very similar thought popped up from Peter's perspective. In 1 Peter um, chapter 3, verse 15, I'd just like to read it. But sanctify the Lord in your hearts, 
and always be ready, see the word ready there, to give the defense to everyone who asks you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and in fear. To give an answer in the Greek is apologia. It's where we get the word apologetics from. And apologetics is a, is a, is a, is a study of the defense of the Christian faith. You, 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 we need to be ready to give an answer. Timothy is told to be ready to preach. This is not always you know, a, form, uh, a formal sermon. It's, a re- it's, a, it's an ability to declare to the truth at, at the drop of a hat. It may be a conversation that comes up and the opportunity is available for you to speak into the life of somebody. It may be your child. It may be your coworker. It may be a loved one. It may be a neighbor. I don't know how or when it's going to show up, but, but, but for Timothy, he had to be ready. And that means that uh, somebody asked me how long it took me to prepare for the sermon. You know, and I, and I told him roughly I didn't have calculated amount of hours. But then I start thinking about that question, and I think, you know what? It's been since I was 18 when I came to know Jesus Christ. This has just all been like a, a, a pot of stew. It's just sitting there, you know, getting better and better over time, I hope. You know, that, uh, that it's, it's percolated, it's brewing, it's, it's happening, and that I can't just say that it was a five or ten hours a week that it took me to put this particular sermon together. And so, too, with Timothy, it is a lifelong learning and integrating the spiritual truths, the scriptural truths of the Word of God into daily life. And so when people ask, when people inquire, we have the opportunity to share, it's ready. Be ready. It is, it, it, is, it, is, it is a sobering thing. But go back to verse 1. What's our motivation? We live in the light of this reality. Someday I'm going to stand before God. Right? So I need to be ready. Timothy needed to be ready. Notice what is contained in here. They are other commands, but I think they fall under this ultimate command to preach the word. I think it tells him how he's supposed to do this. To convince. This idea of convincing is this idea. Idea that there is, um, let me find my spot, my notes here, I'm getting them all mixed up. So there is a convincing here, this is uh, the idea of rebuking, correcting, maybe, maybe doctrinal errors as Timothy is ready to preach. This should be there, it should be um, a proclamation of truth and also a correction of doctrinal deviations. He needs to be ready to rebuke maybe those impure activities, the sinful behaviors and attitude of, of people. He needs to also, and you can't have those two without this third, a willingness to encourage and exhort. I think, I think it's real easy, and I often find in the Marine Corps, as I'm dealing with Marines, and whether it's officers and enlisted, they're very quick to... To, to rebuke and to correct um, and criticize, um, very rarely do I hear the encouragement or the exhortation that goes with that. Scripturally speaking, when Timothy was preaching the word, declaring the truth, and he was doing the corrective parts of that, rebuking and convincing people that uh, this is truth and that they're, they're maybe thinking is an error, there's also the encouragement that comes along that brings motivation true growth into a comprehension of the word of God so that his preaching is therefore effective. And then he says this, he says, I need you to be long-suffering and I need you to teach. Teaching part of it is this clarification of maybe obscure truths. Preaching is a declaration. I think there is a difference between preaching and teaching. I think oftentimes from the pulpit both happen. 
There's a declaration of the truth, but there's a clarification and, and, and help people understand what that truth looks like maybe in the day that we're in, in the, in the situation we're in. And application of the teaching is very personal too, by the way. You know, it, it, is, it is maybe what God through the Holy Spirit and the Word of God is putting on your heart. What is God communicating to you in that moment? And long-suffering. Anybody that's been in a position of teaching needs to realize that there is a, a high level of patience involved. People don't always get it. They don't always understand it. I, I, God bless my wife. She homeschools, and uh, that was her calling, not my calling. My calling, I was willing to be a principal to deal with disciplinary issues, but don't give me the responsibility to teach our children. And there's several times, and they're like, she's asked, oh, can you help so-and-so with their math? And I'd start doing math, and they're like, Mom didn't teach us that way. And I had a very low level of patience when it came to trying to teach them um, some of the basic stuff required for their education. Um, I'm not a very patient person. Because it makes so, so much sense in my mind a certain way. I'm trying to deal with somebody that's seeing it a little differently from a different perspective, a different context, and they're not getting it. And that can be a bit frustrating. But for Timothy to be effective in preaching the word and to, to be able to see change happen in the lives of people, it demanded a level of patience to suffer along with people, to have that long suffering. So that's the second command, or first command. Um, and the first fact. Let's go to the second fact, and that's verses uh, 3 and 4. And this is a tragic departure. This tragic departure, an unfortunate reality. It is another statement of truth, but it's an unfortunate truth. If the first fact was heavenly based, this is earthly based. If the first one reminded that we live in light of eternity and there's a kingdom coming and a judgment that is still future, this is what's happening today and, uh, and, and uh, is, is, is here in this world. And then verses 3 and 4, we can bring those up. Let me read it again. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine... In other words, Timothy, as patient as you have been, as faithful as you have been to preach and teach, there are going to be some that just won't receive it. The time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itchy ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. And they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. The way I, I break this down is... The, is is this second statement, indicative statement, is yes, an unfortunate departure. They will, they will move from what is true to what is error. It is appearing in the active voice. The active voice and the passive voice in the Greek are kind of interesting. The active voice is, is illustrated this way. The boy throws the ball, right? That's active. That means the subject is performing the action. So, so the individual here in the text, they are willfully choosing to reject the truth. They are actively involved in doing this. So for the time will come that they won't endure, endure sound doctrine. That is a choice that they are making, is an action that they are doing. The passive voice would be the boy was hit by the ball, right? You see the difference there? He was kind of a receiver of the action. So when we get to the second part of this, when it says that they turned, were turned aside from fa to fables, and that they were... This, this is a result of the first. So verse 
three is the active. They chose to do this, reject the truth. The result is that they were turned aside to fables. Does that make sense? So, so this is the, the seriousness of, of us staying focused and, and disciplined with the word of God and being grounded in the truth is because when we fail to do that, we are vulnerable to all sorts of deviations and ideas and beliefs. You see our cultural shift, right, from a very Judeo-Christian uh, foundation and our early foundation as a, as a nation and then how we look today. It's very different, right? And I think those results are a direct uh, result or a product of the deviation from the truth. Truth is that in, in time there will be this departure, and I think we've witnessed that. They're, 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 they're leaving sound doctrine, right? That's the intellect, to selfish desires. That's the emotion. So they're shutting their brains off and going on what's feeling. And, and this, is a, this is a feeling society. Looks good, feels good, tastes good, sounds good. You know, it's a very human-oriented um, decision-making process. It, it is, it is, it is, uh, we don't want the Word of God. We don't want that influence in our lives. It's no wonder that our world is where it's at today. That we see, you see these, 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 these beliefs. I mean, Connolly, what, what does it say there in, uh, in, in verse 4? It says fables, right? I think about creation. And from my Christian perspective, being rooted in the word of God, um, taking Genesis literally, in the beginning God created the heaven and earth, the earth was without form and void, and the spirit of God moved upon the face of the deep, and we begin to read the creation story in Genesis, right? I take that as, you know, reality, as truth. And, and yet, we have a world that has rejected that truth, and what are some of the crazy things that they're... they're, they're they're considering as the origins of humanity. I mean, the weirdest one to me is that we are seated here by aliens, you know? That there, is, there, is, there are those that really buy into that. that that's, I'm, I'm thinking, which one takes more faith? I, I mean, I, I don't know. I think it's, it's easier to believe that in the beginning God created heaven and earth than, than to buy into the fact that some aliens seated us here and we are the we are the product of an, an alien or, origin of species i mean these are some of the fables they start rejecting the word of god and that's a very willful purposeful mindful decision and the product would be this this huge deviation and as we see it's a tragic departure from the truth and i thought it was also interesting here as well that they would choose teachers they would naturally gravitate and 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 surround themselves with people of the same same they say misery loves company they would bring these people around them and influencing them further in in their deception and it is a tragic departure from the truth so the first fact right the first fact is pretty clear that we live in light of this reality the second the first challenge i should say would be to uh, for Timothy would be to preach the word. And, and, the, and the, the second fact would be the fact that there's going to be this departure. Now this, this, this second fact builds and really sets us up for this final command. Look at verse 5. The final command. This is the closing command. And again, it's a series of thou shalt, if you will. And so verse 5, it says this. Be you watchful in all things. Endure afflictions. Do the work of the ministry. Do the work, I'm sorry, of the evangelist and fulfill your ministry. This is, this is again, 
the imperative statement. This is the command that he has given. The first part of that would be to be watchful. Um, some translation might be sober, right? To be, um, to be fully mindful. I think it's like having your head on a swivel. It's, it's living in light of that eternal reality, knowing what's going on here and knowing how we ought to live in light of a, of a holy God that someday we're going to stand before. This is, this is the sobriety, the clear thinking uh, and, and uh, a, a, a clear mind that Timothy is being challenged to have. I think it's a mark of maturity, right? To be able to have that mental focus, the mental discipline, to be able to say when an emotion rises up and to say, is this of God? How should I react? Not only feel, and we should feel, because I think God gave us emotion, right? But not to be simply governed by those emotions. What am I going to do with that emotion? And there are times when we don't handle those emotions well and we, we aren't clear-headed when it comes to making decisions. And I think it's pretty, pretty obvious here that he is challenging Timothy to say, hey, be watchful. Keep your head on straight. Second would be to endure hardships or afflictions, right? It says be watchful, be sober, and it says endure the afflictions. The fact of the matter is, again, this command is connected to the previous statements in the verse, verses, uh, verses 3 and 4. We live in a hostile world. Timothy, you may try to preach and teach the gospel, and you may do verse 2 very well, but the hard and unfortunate reality is there are going to be people that are going to be hostile to that. They're going to reject that. How is it going to affect you, Timothy? He says, well, you better be watchful, be sober, and he says, you're going to have to endure those hardships. It's not when. It's not if, but it's when they come, right? It's, it's, it's this reality that there is going to be Hardships that come with Christianity. Hardships that come for Timothy in this effort of trying to fulfill his ministry and do the work well that he's been called to do. So, interesting statement that's made next is, is do the work of an evangelist. Some have suggested that Timothy probably didn't have the gift of evangelism. I, I, I don't know for sure. You know, I can't say that with certainty, but it is kind of interesting that he be, even if he did or didn't have the gift of evangelism, he still had a responsibility to evangelize. He still had a responsibility to share the gospel. The death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ applied to a life. That God is in the, the saving business. He doesn't want to be a God that simply judges and sentences people to an eternity, but he has provided a solution to the sin problem, and that's Jesus Christ. And so he needed to, even if he wasn't gifted at it, he needed to do the work of evangelism. He needed to share the gospel and reach people with that core and fundamental foundational truth. And then finally, fulfill your ministry, that the ministry would be fulfilled. I think it's, it's, it's the challenge to us here today. If we were to look at this passage of scripture and say, well, technically I'm not a preacher. Technically... This isn't speaking to me, right? You could say, well, I'm not called into vocational ministry. I've not even, even been asked to preach. It's, it's not a calling that I feel on my life. You know what? The strict and probably most, uh, how do I write it here? The most immediate and clearest interpretation and application of the scripture is to those that are called into maybe that preaching ministry. I get it. But like any other passage of Scripture, it says all Scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable. So what does this say to us that are not in vocational or preaching ministry? 
What are some of the takeaways? And, and that's the final four points that I want to give you here today is, as we make application to this. And uh, so, so what does it say to us? Can we bring those up, those, the first one in the closing thoughts here? First of all, it says we must live our lives in view of eternity, right? We all are going to stand before God someday. We all will have to give an account. We, we need to make sure that we live our lives in view of this eternal reality. It's not just what I can get here today, what I can accomplish, what my purposes and plans are, very, very, very uh, earthly, carnal, immediate. But what kind of eternal implications do I have? Second would be we need to learn the word of God, yes. But like Timothy, right, we saw the progression of his life. It wasn't just, you know, having a godly family influence and learning the word of God at a young age and then being discipled by Paul. It didn't end there. It really was intended to set him up to share the word of God. And we need to be willing to share the word of God in light of what we've learned and in proportion to what we learn, we need to share the word of God. More than we share our feelings, more than we share our opinions, more than we share our, our ideas. I had, I had, I had lunch with the, uh, our adjutant, which is a captain in the, at the recon battalion, and, and, uh, and a first sergeant of one of the companies at the recon battalion. And this was the most comical lunch I've ever had. They were arguing back and forth what was the smartest sea animal. And the first sergeant was saying it was the octopus. And, and I mean, they were acting like subject matter experts. And in a way that they were preaching most of the time their ideas and their opinions about these sea creatures. And I just sat back and I said, I don't even know how to participate in this conversation. This is really off the charts, weird and odd. Um, but... The thing is, is that we're not here to preach our opinions, our feelings, our ideas. We're here to share the word of God. And if we do share those things, it's used to an, as a window. Let's say, let's, say, um, you know, let's say we turn on all the lights and close all the doors. It would be dark in here. Let's say this is the truth, all right? This is where the word of God resides. But when we open the light and we give illustration, uh, uh, open the doors, it brings in the light to illuminate and help people to understand the truth. So if there is any personal opinion or a testimony, it's to reinforce the word of God, the foundational truth. The third, we all have to realize that not everyone will be sensitive to the word of God. Just like in Timothy's day, they will be desiring more um, their own feelings and, and, and maybe opinions and valuing that more than the, the sound doctrine. All right, and then the fourth would be, again, finally, we need to realize that we need to remain faithful even when life gets hard. Persevering. I tell you what, it's some of the harder experiences in life that I've had that caused the most growth, right? Think about PT, physical training, right? You are, you're, you're faced with some of the hardest things you've ever done, pushing yourselves to limits that you didn't even know you were capable of, all right? When I ran a marathon, I trained up to about 21 miles in my long run. I never ran 26.2 until the day of the race. That's a big kind of a thing. I don't know if I can do this, you know, because I've never done it before. But it's only till you pushed yourself beyond what you think you could do that you realize that I could do far more than, than I thought I was capable of. And it's the same way with life. When life gets hard, you don't realize how much God has equipped you and empowered you to do hard things until God puts some hard things in your life. And then you realize how faithful God is and how able he is to see you through those difficult times. It can be the catalyst for incredible growth. Don't wish away those hard times. Persevere and endure through those hard times. 
So the message to Timothy was pretty clear. But it isn't just this historical event that took place in the past and has no relevant statement taught here today. It is powerful. It is true. And it has something to communicate to us. And I hope that we heard from the Spirit of God, through the Word of God, this morning what He has had said to us in this moment. So let's close the word of prayer and then we'll move on. Father, we thank you for our time here today in your word. I thank you for the scriptures, that they are powerful. They are life-changing. And that they could do a work and even the hardest of hearts. So God, I pray that you would stir and do a work that you desire to do here today as we bring this service to an end. Lord, be honored and glorified in the, in the decisions that are made. Um, and I pray that we would be used of you for greater things uh, in, the, in the coming days. And so we just pray for your blessing upon us as we seek to honor you and live a life that is uh, uh, obedient to these, these commands. We pray these things now in Jesus' name.